0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode eight of Great Works, AKA, an endless search for the greatest work of art. I'm Tay. And I'm Jess. And this is a podcast about everything and anything. More specifically, it's a podcast where each episode, we take it in turns to convince each other why our chosen topic is, without a doubt, the single greatest work of art. We can talk about anything, a film, a book, a game, a song, and yes, even actual art. By the end of the episode, we'll either all agree that your thing is a masterpiece, or it will be in the bin. Let's get started.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Today, we've got a really exciting special guest for you. Um, We've got Xanthi, who is our colleague, um and friends.
0: Ex-colleague. Ex-colleague. We both colleague. Oh
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, okay. Nope. <laughs> Not our colleague, our ex-colleague, um, and friend. And she is going to be talking about a TV series that we will get into shortly. But first, Santhy, say hello.
2: Hello.
0: <laughs> Let the people know what you're about, what you do, who you are.
2: Well, I work in marketing. <laughs> I'm growing a human. Yeah, um, she's
1: pregnant, by the way. That's not like a science experiment.
2: Try not to have the baby during this episode. Yeah, so how far away are you, Zanthi?
0: I'm really pushing for you to have the baby during this episode. (laughs) Just for personal reasons. Can you imagine the listens on this thing?
2: (laughs) I'm nearly eight months, so it could happen. But let's hope it doesn't.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm hoping it does. (laughs) And Zanthi, what is your topic today for the episode?
2: So my topic is... Well, it was very difficult to decide, but I've settled on a TV show. It's um, Fleabag, season two specifically.
0: Okay. Cool. And that's by Phoebe Waller Bridge, right? Writer, director,
2: yeah. So actor. she she wrote it, she stars in it, um, and she's also, yeah, directed it as well.
0: I was almost gonna say it's like a, a one woman show, but that is how the show started, right? So a bit of table it setting is. for anyone who doesn't know about Fleabag. Started as a one-woman show, like a stage show, just with her, right?
2: Yeah, it was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I think, in twenty
0: thirteen. Nice, <laughs> I, I think I read that it was like really quite successful, and it really took off from there. But obviously, it didn't like become a TV show for for quite a few years after that until she got the backing to make one season, and then there was a bit of a delay until the second one. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think th- I think that sounds about right. Um, she also only. Um, they are only six episodes per season. Yeah. So there's a lot covered in a yeah. short space of time, which
0: makes it really good for when you're trying to rewatch it in, in one week. <laughs> you know, right before recording.
2: So rewatch it. I watched um,
1: the second half of season one and all of season two in two days. So it's uh, it's that's very the level watchable. of prep that I've done for this. <laughs>
2: Did you, re- did you re-watch season one or had you already seen
1: So I'd seen some of season one, so but I hadn't finished it. So I started in the middle just to remind myself and then watch the end of season one. And I completely see why we're doing season two because I think it's a lot better than season one.
2: But then you also almost need the context of season you do. one to yeah. make yeah. season you need two so, the so good.
1: Scene, you need the scene setting yeah. from season one. But um, I mean, it's still good. You should, you know, listeners, you should still watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but season two is is where it's at.
0: So what's everyone's like experience with it? So I, I watched season one and two kind of back to back right around the time season two came out in 2019. Um, and yeah, I just kind of like binged the whole thing. Uh, and then this time I went back and like you say, to, to kind of get the context, I rewatched the first episode of season one and then just, you know, just tore through season two in a couple of nights. Um, But yeah, kind of. When did you first come across it? Did you Did you have that three year wait between the two seasons?
2: (laughs) I did have a bit of a wait. I did watch season one a while ago, and I think it is actually quite nice sometimes to have a gap because we obviously with things so available now. We just kind of watch it really, really quickly. Um, So it was nice to have a a bit of a forced gap, but it is definitely something you could so easily tear through because it's so few episodes. Yeah, Um, and they're only like
0: twenty five minutes each. So
2: yeah, yeah. it's so quick to get through. but, I mean, I could go into very brief bit of season one, but maybe you can add bits you, since you for both sure, watched sure. it yeah. Yeah. Um, so recently. Just
0: a very... You mentioned availability as well. Like, a quick note for anyone who wants to watch it. Like, it is just... The whole thing is on iPlayer. You can go there and watch it. Of course, you all have TV licences to do that. And then <laughs> and it's also... you're all
1: based in the UK, <laughs> so you can also all access BBC iPlayer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but if not, it's on Amazon Prime. So go check it out.
2: Um, yeah, so I could briefly touch on the context of season one um so the main character is only ever referred to as fleabag we never know what her real name is um it's kind of a self-given name um so fleabag we see her wrestling with life and the aftermath of the death of her best friend boo Um, we don't know how exactly she died but we we it's suggested that it's a suicide um, and she has many reflections on this death and memories of her friend. Um, She's also getting over the death of her mother, um, who by certain references we can gather that she's very close to her mother, and that's also something that's very difficult for Fleabag to reconcile with. Um, She's got a strained relationship with her father, her sister, and her stepmother, who's also her godmother, um, who she seems to never feel like she can really be good enough for as well. And she explores the route these realm, realm of issues by choosing to kind of ignore the problems that she has with her relationships and her grief and she essentially expresses all of her issues through casual sex dark humor um, and other forms of escapism so we see that in in some contexts being funny and we're along for the ride and then other times it's quite heartbreaking and sad mm. yeah yeah And then through the flashbacks that we see throughout the season with um, remembering her friend Boo, um, we see that really that's one of the few people that was really a true friend and understood her, and that she's lost her to essentially, well, Boo died um, as a result of some kind of problem she had with her relationship. Um, It kind of comes out that her boyfriend cheated on her, and um, she's really upset, and she... Ch- chose chooses to end her life and basically we realize at the final bit of the season that actually it's Fleabag who cheated with Boyfriend yeah. and that's the kind of the big finale and the big shock
0: yeah and her that. best friend never realized like it was her right yeah. but but uh, obviously she's living with all that guilt
1: and it was also i mean sorry massive spoilers guys um
2: but <laughs> was,
1: yeah, like, spoiler <laughs> one season one and two but but basically you you then sort of see it again in the light of her guilt um because she feels responsible not only has she lost her friend but she feels like it was her fault and and I believe it's it the idea is that her friend wanted to step in front of a bicycle to hurt herself so that her boyfriend would have to visit her in hospital, but yeah. then it went wrong and, and she died.
2: Yeah, I think that's such a good point, actually. We realise how much deeper the grief runs for Fleabag at that end point of the season because we realise how responsible she feels for the death of her friend. And it also explains a lot of her self-destructive behaviour that we've seen throughout the first season. And, and why she's tries to escape from that yeah. all the time. But yeah, She can't ultimately escape her grief
1: um, or her memory of her friend because they ran a cafe together and she still runs the cafe.
2: Yes, yeah, there's often lots of reflections and memories, often quite funny, light-hearted memories, but that makes it all more sad because she's obviously not here anymore and she's now running this cafe on her own. Um, the,
0: the cafe is a really important plot point as well, which um, kind of we, we should touch on in that Fleabag Goes to Get Alone uh to to keep the cafe going right and she gets rejected and in uh kind of the the final episode and one of the final scenes it's implied that she is also going to commit suicide right so she's going to kill herself in the same way that boo does like the the way that the shots are set up like it's it's very basically mirrors the the flashback shots you see of her friend just before her death uh, and like outside their cafe and then at kind of the moment when she's about to step into the road um, the bank manager who rejected her loan like pulls up and then they have a chat and he can clearly see you know like what, what's going on kind of deep within her and basically offers her the loan again and that's how season one ends. you're really yeah. setting us up for kind uh, of the storyline uh, to come.
1: Yeah, I-, I love the bank manager character, but perhaps something we can touch on later. but I just wanted to ask Xanthi, so that's you know season one. So now you're bringing to us season two as your work of art. So just brief summary, can you give us the, the points that, you know, you think that that's going to convince us that it's a, a great yeah, work of art? Yeah, why is this the greatest
0: work <laughs> yeah. of art of all time?
2: Big accolades. <laughs> so <laughs> by, by going back and talking about season one, it sounds like a real tragedy and it sounds very heavy, but actually it's really a comedy. It's a lot, dark comedy, It's right? a dark comedy, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I think in a lot of ways the season one it feels a lot of the time like a comedy and it has these dark moments. Um, and season two explores those darker moments further, um, mm. and it takes it to the next level, but it still retains the humorous side and keeps it funny and lighthearted enough to be enjoyable to watch. So I think um, it takes it to the next level. That's one of the reasons why I think season two is is the greatest work of art rather than you know the whole thing on just season one. Um but the the main points that I would I would say what make it such an amazing piece of work is, um, so she opens the the season that is a love story. So we know that there's something positive here, but with love comes heartbreak as well. Um, so it's, it is a beautiful love story, but it's also, and it's still a comedy, but it's also heartbreaking. Um, so the three points is, one of which is how complex and rounded the characters are. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. this is just... She, her, it's through her writing, but it's also definitely through the actors that portray um, the characters. Mm-hmm. They just do such an amazing job. The characters are nuanced and complex. They're not one-dimensional. They're flawed, but you can also relate to them. Um, so that's definitely one point. Um, second point is the device that Phoebe Waller-Bridge uses of breaking the fourth wall, which we don't really see very much in many shows. Yeah. So obviously, she didn't invent it, but we it's it's really, really... Amazing examples of how she does this. It's it's really known for that, isn't it? Yeah. It's
1: uh, the iconic sort of fleabag thing. I mean, yes, you're right, she did she didn't invent that, but the iconic thing is her looking at the camera and just like giving an eyebrow, like, are you seeing this type thing. Exactly.
2: And it's used in two different ways because it's on one not to get too into it, but on the one hand it amplifies these difficult topics that she wants to touch on, but on the other hand, it's used as a little comedic cutaway. Yeah. Um, so it's it's does the two, those two extremes. Um, so that's a really clever device she uses. And then also I, the final point I wanted to make about why it's such a great work is the um, the final scene and the symbolism of the fox throughout the season and how that culminates in the final scene because I think there's such a clever piece of writing.
0: Sweet, we'll get into it. Let's start with characterization. So you touched on how, like I, I, personally for me, I feel like the acting is really underrated like, there's a couple of big-name oh, yeah. actors in there. Like, Olivia Colman is probably the biggest, like, big-name actor in there, um, other than Phoebe waller She does waller, very Bridge.
1: well, though, as well. Oh. I mean, yeah, obviously, she's a really famous actor, but, yeah. oh my gosh, she she does a great job. She, she th-
0: kills it. She
1: plays the stepmother, and she is just awful.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, like, w- something I'm sure you'll touch on this maybe, but maybe you don't feel this way, but I feel like everyone in this season is, like, a giant dick like every (laughs) single person like no matter who it is there's you know there's there's redeeming qualities to everyone also they're all horrible people oh yeah um and that's not necessarily a bad thing uh and kind of and then the the, coming back to my point about being underrated like Phoebe Waller-Bridge now obviously has massively taken off but I feel like she doesn't get the credit uh like she deserves for that because you know she's she's praised for for the writing the direction and all that stuff but I think that I always hear her acting is the third point this and i think it's like it's outstanding
2: mm-hmm. yeah i think with the characters it's interesting you saying about they're horrible but in a sense although they're flawed you do i think in season two especially you understand more why they are the way they are yeah Um, a good example of that is the father we see him as quite an absent father he doesn't know how to talk to his daughters he's with phoebe Waller-Bridge's um, character's godmother um who becomes her stepmother, who is really not a very nice person, you feel like it's unfair that he would be with this woman. And you feel
0: like how has she trapped him? Right? What's she got yeah. on him that they're together?
2: Yeah, exactly. And you feel like he doesn't step up enough as a father. He's not. He's not there for his daughters. But at the same time, you see the relationship that he has with the um, the new partner, and how kind of pushed down he is all the time and we obviously know that he went through the death of um fleabags mother so his his wife mm-hmm. and he's probably getting over the grief of that and we start to see more of those elements explored in the second season it kind of gives you a small amount of sympathy yeah. with him at times it's, it doesn't really make up for the fact that he's not a great father to fleabag and her sister but yes, yeah, so you start to understand him more basically um despite his flaws
0: yeah. Yeah, and I, f- I felt like personally during season one and two, he's got like obviously fatherly love for Fleabag and for Claire and you think to varying degrees, but you don't get the sense that he particularly likes them as people. And then maybe a bit on the nose, but he, he literally says that, right? I think it might be the end of season one. Um or I think it's, come it's, right, is, it's in is it season, season two. two? Yeah. Yeah, go on, you remember it. Best, oh,
1: well, it, it's actually towards the end. It's, it's, I think it's on his wedding day uh, where he's marrying the godmother, his, his new wife. And he's so stunted in talking to Fleabag and to everyone. And he's, you know, very, he finds it very difficult to get words out. He doesn't finish sentences. And it's actually really quite funny and hilarious. But um, towards the end, they're finally having a slightly more frank conversation. And he says to her, you know you're like your mother, and saying these kind of nice things to her, and there's there's definitely some communication going on, but he says, um, yes, no, you're my daughter, and I love you,
0: but I don't really like you. Yeah, I'm not sure I like you. And
1: and then he says, but I like Claire, <laughs> which is her sister.
0: Yeah, which I, I guess is a great point about kind of the, the duality of the sisters, because they're incredibly different characters, right, and in kind of incredibly different positions in their life, but obviously they have the commonality that they're sisters but they also have like this this commonality that they're striving for like i don't know like the ideal modern feminist right in in different ways I and mean, we can get into that a little bit something i'm sure you'll touch on it um and i'd love to kind of like jump on your points there because i have some strong feelings about that yeah like what kind of what do you think about the characters of the sisters and how they play off each other
2: so one of the main examples i wanted to talk about that exemplifies all this amazing writing and characterization is the characterization of Claire which in season one I think Claire's character is used more as just um, comedic uptight sister that contrasts Fleabag's free spiritedness Totally um, and it's just it's just funny um, yeah. to see her kind of so uptight and flustered all the time but in season two again we see in a similar way to the father but it's so much more explored we see more why Claire is the way she is I think The way that both the sisters are brought up and the death of their mother and the absent father, at least emotionally so, um, causes them to react in very different ways, which is often something you'd see in siblings. The older one has that responsibility and feels like they have to do all these things that have a high-flying career like we see Claire has and always be the perfect person and can never be flawed or never make a mistake. And we see Fleabag more going the opposite direction. We see her having a creative business that maybe isn't always doing very well. She is free-spirited. She does what she wants more. She says what she thinks, which obviously does get her into problems sometimes, but um, they're complete opposites. And I think even though they're complete opposites, they're both born out of the same reason that they're as a result of that upbringing. They've just expressed it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah yeah and,
0: so. and th- there's a scene in season one where i didn't re-watch this but i vaguely remember it where their dad gets them like tickets to go to a feminist lecture and they make jokes about um kind of modern feminism and they both agree that like oh we're bad feminists right that's what kind of yeah. really, one of the closing uh lines of that scene and i think that really does ring true if like if you take the the ideal of like the modern woman right as it should be as, as they should be uh you know they they run a tight ship in terms of like their household. They are fiercely independent, like they have a high powered career, like all these things that a lot of women speak to, like, you know, women should do all of these things and be really well-rounded and need no one else, right? And they can do everything a man can do. And Claire like embodies a lot of that. Yeah. And in some ways, fleabag is also like a a reflection of someone trying to go for that to try and achieve the same thing, but you see where like the flaws are because she doesn't ask for help, right? She's trying to maintain her business. She doesn't want to let anyone else in because she feels like she should be independent and do it herself. And it's like two sides of the same coin.
2: They're just, but they're both trying to look for approval from somewhere. Exactly. And they can't ask for help Mm. or let anyone else in. And probably from the relationship they've had with their father in a lot of ways is the reason for that.
1: But they also, one thing I find really interesting is them as characters separately but also them and their relationship to each other, because, the, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't really express it. It's, it's very, um, it, it flip-flops from, you know, one moment, it, it seems like they're looking out for each other and they love each other. And the next minute, Claire flies off the handle for some reason, and you don't really understand why. And I think you end up coming to the point that they're constantly comparing themselves to each other. So Claire, they're in Claire's massive office at, at, a, at a party or, a, or an award ceremony at her work. And her office is like bigger than my flat. And she's, you know, giving these awards and she's doing really, really well. But even in that situation, in her element, she feels really, really insecure about the fact that Fleabag's made a joke to one of her colleagues and it was funny and she couldn't come up with a joke that funny. And she feels incredibly insecure that she's not as good as Fleabag when really on the surface, her life is much better than Fleabag's because she's got everything together. She's got a husband and she's got a good job and all the rest of it.
2: I was I was going to make that point actually. She, um, I think she says some sort of line about I just feel like a failure, and it's the irony that they're standing in that huge office, yeah. and, and they even draw attention to it. Yeah, she they said, look around the room.
1: <laughs> <She's> a, <laughs> don't don't mention the office. Yeah, if you Massive, dare though. comment
2: on it. And and Fleabag's catering for the event, which is a big deal for her because she's it's, it's good for her cafe, but she is second to Claire. She's she's catering for Claire's event, and again, it's just because. Fleabag can be um, free-spirited and fun and funny, make people laugh. She says what she wants. And Claire has never felt she can do that.
0: I was going to ask. So great art, in my opinion, should like reflect life, right? It should reflect like aspects of life and capture it well and like quite, quite honestly. And it's interesting because you both have sisters. <laughs> so Jess, you obviously have a twin sister. Santhe, you have a sister who's very close to you in age. Does this, like, resonate with you? It, it kind of, do you? Do you see reflections of, like, your own life or your own self in either of these characters? Do you think that's part of the appeal of it?
1: The, the comparison, 100%. I, I think you don't mean to compare yourself to your sister, but you do. I mean, your sister is similar in age to you, mine's my twin, and so I'm always comparing myself to her, like not even consciously. I mean, I'd like to think that our relationship is much better than their
2: relationship. <laughs> yeah, there's is an extreme <laughs> example an extreme... of classic sibling
0: tropes. I sure, sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I, I definitely, I can, I, I think I have a much more positive relationship as well with my sister than what's explored here. But I do completely see it's it's a more extreme version of the classic problems that you have in sibling relationships. The competitiveness, the feeling that one of the other one is doing better because, like we were saying, on paper, Claire's doing better. She's got this high-flying career. She's married. She's got everything together. But, actually, she envies Fleabag some of the time because Fleabag is funny and free and does what she wants. Yeah, Claire's not fun. And no. she's, like,
0: painfully aware of it.
2: I mean, even, as well, you could argue that Claire is trying to do all this for approval maybe from her family or for herself to feel like she's good enough. And um, at the dinner in the very first episode... Uh, they re- the family refer to her being a a lawyer, and she says she's not a lawyer and that she works in finance. And they all actually disagree with her and say, "No, Claire, you're a lawyer." Like I think the, the whole is, of season you're one, you're a solicitor, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it's a perfect example that she can do all that and still, you know, her family don't even really know what she does or understand her, or
0: yeah.
2: it makes her probably feel like it's not taken that seriously. Yeah. In the same way, we see Fleabag not feel like she's being taken seriously with her cafe.
1: Can I just say briefly that the first episode of season two is really, really good. It, it was. Is. I think it it might be the best episode of the whole series. Oh, I think it
0: is. It's just like so. It opens with um basically a scene from the very end of the episode, right? And I love when yeah. like the shows or movies or whatever do that. And you know how things are going to end up, and you're just left like, thinking like. What the hell yeah. is going to happen to leave, like, yeah. these two women on, on the floor of, like, a restaurant bathroom with bloody noses and yeah. stuff? And then...
1: She's got blood all over her face and she's cleaning it off and then she looks at the camera and just goes, this is a love story. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. like, so, so, I mean, it's a classic, so like, dark humour and, yeah, exactly, kind of contrast.
0: She also looks super fire in that jumpsuit. She does! <laughs> 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 just going to say
2: I had um, a couple of lines that I took from an interview with um, Sean Clifford, who plays Claire, oh, yeah. which I thought was nice, of how she kind of said about all the points that we talked about. Um, she said, She has a younger, cooler, punkier sister, and it's pretty hard for Claire. Claire is someone who just does not know how to break the rules. She is a conformer to the last. Like, she feels very, very responsible. She finds it hard because she doesn't know how to break out but we're starting to see that she's trying to make a change. Those cracks are starting to get a bit of an earthquake rumbling through them. I think that really summarises exactly what happens with Claire in this season. We see her finally break free from some of that uptightness, and that's how her character is explored in so much more depth. Um, From the very first season where we're talking about that at the dinner table, she's still that uptight, controlled person. But by the end of the season, she has gone on a bit of a, a journey, um... And I think Fleabag's helped her get there and you see them become closer.
1: Yeah. It, it's funny because you think that they're starting to patch up their relationship a bit at the end of season one. Uh, and then it's revealed at the beginning of season two that it's been a year and they haven't spoken to each other yeah. um, because Claire uh, believes that her husband and Fleabag... Or- Tried to kiss, but that it was Fleabag's fault, and we actually know it wasn't her fault. It was the husband's fault, and she, she she's blamed she her She stands by her. the husband, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah she, she stands by the husband, and it, that's sort of reflective of that kind of conforming. You you should you know you don't want to break up the marriage. You should stay by the husband. Um, but then yeah, throughout season two, yeah, there is much more of that. Fleabag really attentive to her sister and making sure she's there when she needs her. Um, And then you feel a bit sad that her sister seems to still be angry with her. But actually, she has been helping her sister break out. And yeah, I think her sister gets a bit of a happy ending at the end where, uh, sorry, spoilers, she essentially leaves her husband.
2: Yeah, I think um, another bit that I read from the interview with um, the actor that plays her, where she touches on the relationship with the husband. Because we see the husband throughout being this sleazy, nasty guy who the only redeeming feature he has is that it's, it's referenced that he makes her laugh. And she says that she's been asked, as in the act has been asked, um, why she stays with Martin throughout all this. And I think this, this summarises so well, is that basically for for Claire, failure to her is death and it's just not an yeah. option. Um, so she wouldn't even see it as as an option to leave. She would only ever see it as an option to stay. Um, whereas in this season, we see her finally break free from the marriage. So it shows such growth for Claire's character.
0: And, and that's really good writing again because that's really authentic to life, right? There's so many people who stay in relationships like much longer than they should, much longer than their expiration date when everyone else around them is telling them that like it's time to get out. And it's different when you see it on a screen. But again, like I think all this is to say that like uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge wrote incredibly like complex and compelling characters, right? That that reflect true life. And they're not like 2D. And exactly, like, yeah, I mean... Is there anything else you want to say about that? Like, is, is there anything we haven't co- covered about why that for you makes it like head and shoulders kind of above other shows, why this is what you think is the greatest work?
2: So I think um, the way her character is, uh, like I said, goes on this journey isn't explored so much deeper in the second season, um, one of the ways it's done, it's done so well is the relationship that she has with Fleabag and how she, they become closer. Um, and I think that is set off from the first episode when we see um claire's character suffer a miscarriage which is another reason why i think this is such an amazing piece of work that this season is not both seasons in general are not afraid to explore very dark and heavy themes yeah. that happen to people in everyday life that are not often explored on screen even i think the the moment the flea bag questions whether she needs a tampon it's like even periods are not referenced at all in TV. It's just, it doesn't happen and it's normalized. Um, so I think that is that is really good. But the, the way that um, they go through that experience together and Fleabag supports her through that, she takes, um, she pretends it's her that has gone through this tragic experience um, is the start of them becoming closer. And we see that grow throughout the season. And then in the final episode, we have that moment where, Claire decides to essentially pursue the their love of this colleague that she's she's become really close to. Also named Claire. Mm. Yes. Humorously <laughs> yeah. also named Claire, um, which brings Fleabag a lot of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> um and you see Claire's Claire's embarrassment of having to tell Fleabag what the name of this guy is. Mm. But um there's this final scene where um it's obviously just jumping ahead, but Fleabag suggests that she goes to the airport to... She's left her husband. She goes, yeah. goes to the airport to, to go and be with this guy and um, Claire says that the only person I'd run through an airport for is you. And it's such a significant moment because you realise that throughout how different they are, they... They love each other and they will always, I think, really put each other first. I think they're the number one person in each other's life.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Actually, I think that that
1: is the main relationship of the whole show is the two sisters. I mean, we haven't yet mentioned the fact that there is a very important character who is the priest. I think maybe we talk about that later.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> but... <laughs> we will talk about the priest. <laughs> Obviously,
1: very that's a very important relationship in season two. But actually, what might seem secondary is the sisters, but I think that it is the most... Important relationship, and it they are the loves of each other's lives, and obviously non-romantic sense. But they yeah. are the two people who who love each other the most. Actually,
2: we don't often see the like I said, the topics and the themes explored in this season, but we don't often see them as a vehicle to exemplify like the depth of characters and also the bond between sisters is probably something that should be explored more it's that kind of indirect feminism that I think Phoebe waller does so yeah. well it's not portrayed as something like well this is just a show for young women yeah and like uh, like ardent feminists but it's just subtly there it's exploring well-rounded female characters and female relationships and it's-
0: in theory like this show shouldn't be as big as it is right because it like it, as you said the, the the topics it covers like its main driving vehicle is like family like discord and like you know sisterly love and then like to throw in themes like miscarriage and, and like, like just very quick like anecdote like when i first saw that episode maybe what was it like two three years ago now i remember turning to like my girlfriend and being like after the episode ended and, and it was revealed that like oh they just had a miscarriage in the toilet uh, in a restaurant, I was like, "What the fuck? Like, what's going on? Like, what, what, what?" Because I, I think I was just like shocked because mm-hmm. it's not really something you see on TV. And, and my girlfriend was like, "Yeah, like, why are you surprised? Like, it happens. Like, it can happen anywhere." On reflection, I'm like, "Yeah, of course. Like, why, why, why don't we see?" more of this kind of thing on TV? And I think the answer is that it doesn't really sell. Uh, that's that's kind of another tick for Fleabag as being like a really breakthrough piece of art in that it was able to kind of cap capture the minds and hearts of so many people. I think that's really, really important to talk about in a way that that it, it was able to bring topics which normally don't get much light and kind of give them a much broader audience, not least of which breaking through into the US, right? And you think, of, think about a huge population of that market and then ending up winning like eight Emmys yeah. which is a hard thing to do when you're talking about miscarriages so bluntly
2: yeah it's it's really brave what I think to to talk about these topics and uh, Phoebe waller does it in in a, in a way that doesn't make it so heavy to watch that it would just be very difficult she she has so many comedic breaks throughout that make those topics really important and they stay with you, but it's also that light relief of the comedy to make it just an enjoyable show to watch as well. Yeah, And that's a really clever juxtaposition of those two things because that's a hard line to kind of balance between.
0: For sure. Um, and I think a lot of that is the, the, the fourth wall breaks, right? And, yeah. and maybe if you're ready to come on to this, like, we can start talking about that. But I think that is the hallmark of the show for me and what I remember most about it.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's worth reflecting on season one because in, um, in season one, we see the fourth wall breaks, I think, generally as um, a vehicle for comedy, yeah. so little cutaways and, and um, slick remarks uh, where Phoebe waller character turns to the camera and has a little quip for the audience. But they also sometimes give us extra context about the situation um, and also, I think, on a deeper level... We realise that these cutaways are her trying to convince herself that everything's fine and everything's going to plan and her life is great. She
0: doesn't need anyone. Yeah, she's good.
2: convincing us and herself. And we only realise that I think as time goes on, that those it's not just little like comedy <laughs> moments. It's actually there's a deeper meaning there. And I think we realise in this in season two she takes that to a whole other level of it's still sometimes funny, but it's also to give this kind of deeper meaning and greater understanding of her character and who she is.
0: So you would assume, and certainly I assumed for like a long time, that the fourth wall breaks, the like little asides to the audience, which I think actually comes from the fact that this was like a stage production, right? And where you could just like have an aside to the audience. It's, it's a more normal thing, I think. Um, but you think that these asides and these fourth wall breaks are going to be honest. They're going to be honest reflections of like, what she's actually thinking, right? She's saying one thing to the characters during the script, but you as the audience, she's going to let you in on the truth. And that's not actually the case. And like the example I think of is actually from season one, but the end of season one, when uh, she's with that guy who she's had like a one night stand with. And she like, w- when they're having sex, she makes like a joke about him losing his erection because he he's falling in love with her, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Becky, stop laughing. Um, and then... <laughs> But then soon after, like towards the end of the episode, once the guy, it seems like he's going to confess his love and she's really hoping that it's going to be that he he says he loves her and she's really disappointed when he doesn't say that, when he says he loves someone else, so he needs to leave her, right? And she pretends like, oh, it's all fine. Like, but we know that we can see that she's really upset. And in the aside, she wasn't being honest with anyone, not herself, not us, like not even the guy that, and, and by making fun of him. So... She's, she's still like an unreliable narrator, even yeah. in those fourth wall breaks.
1: There was one thing I wanted to um, ask about the the fourth wall breaks because, um, and I, I'm sure it's something you, that you, you, you'd like to say eventually, Xanthi, um, but there's something really interesting with the second season about how the fourth wall becomes um, significant of something else. Like it represents something else because things start to happen with the fourth wall breaks that were not happening in the first season the relationship with the priest there is a priest in the second season who she fancies and he fancies her back but he's a priest so he 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 can't have sex and he, she obviously wants them to have sex and she's been um had a year of not doing casual sex but she thinks that this guy actually is is someone who is worth loving um so there's a lot of chemistry and sexual tension which is a story for another time but she he starts to notice her breaking the fourth wall she will look at the camera and say something and he said what was that and she says oh i don't know what do you mean you, you just went somewhere and then it gets worse so on a in a later episode he she's having a conversation with the priest and intermittently looking at the camera and saying oh his neck oh his back oh his arms and then he's she's in between those is saying something to the priest But then she gets it muddled up and she says what she was trying to say to the priest, to the camera, and says what she was trying to say to the camera, to the priest. So she says to the priest, his neck. And he says, what? Did you just say his neck? And so it's him kind of breaking through her fourth wall as well. And then right at the end, again, at the very end of the season, she shakes her head at the camera as the camera starts to follow her as she's leaving to say, not anymore. So there's some kind of Symbolism of the fourth wall and how the priest has broken through that. And
2: I mean, do you have is there something that you think that that represents in particular? I think that's just so clever. I saw an article refer to it as a meta break, that we already feel like the fourth wall is broken and that she is talking to us. But by him noticing, it's him noticing her um, and him seeing her in a way that no other person has yeah. seen her. Um, they don't take any notice of her having those moments away or convincing herself of something. He sees her completely and truly, and that throws her off quite a lot, because no one has before. Um, he, like I think you said, Jess, he says something along the lines of it, it's like, you disappear. And he even at one point looks directly into the camera, so he's looking at us, which feels very confronting. And like he's kind totally, of invading yeah. our space, but but also kind of nice in a way, because he's, he's actually trying to see, and he's trying to look, and he's trying to... Find out where she's going or understand her more. Um, so, although it feels a bit confronting, it's it's a really clever device that I've not seen done yeah. in anything else. Um, which I think is it's completely testament to yeah. Phoebe waller writing.
0: Yeah, I think it is definitely unique. I'm trying to think of like other ones, but I think it's mainly just like in plays. This year that I've seen it, never never once. Yeah. Well. Of course we've seen on screen, like what Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think is a pretty famous example of it. It's quite good there, it's like comedic, but uh, nothing to this level.
1: And it's used more as a, you know, a comic device rather than a characterisation device. I mean, the fact that the priest is breaking through her, breaking through the fourth wall implies that he is understanding something about her and he's being let in on a secret that he shouldn't be let in on. I I mean, I might have interpreted this wrong, but I think There's us, no wrong us <laughs> the us viewing her life and her inviting us to view her life is symbolic of her like self-destructive behaviour. And then the fact that at the end, him, him breaking through to that is him seeing it. And then at the end, when she leaves and she doesn't uh, doesn't allow us to come with her is the beginning of her ending her self-destructive behaviour. That's totally and- it. Yeah, her growth and her moving on. She's like, "Sorry, you guys can't come with me anymore. You're not allowed to view this anymore, and I'm gonna stop doing my yeah. you know, little sides to you."
0: Uh, I think like I think you're totally spot on. I think the 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 it's not really a fourth wall breaker. Right? It's it's a flea bag talking to all of like the baggage, all of like the guilt, all of like the negative emotions. And and I think anger. I know you guys don't think she's a very angry woman, but I think she is angry. And I think it's it's her talking to all of those emotions, and then yeah, at the end, like you say, she leaves it behind because he, the priest, has has uh, has helped her work through that and kind of unshackle her, herself from it. Right, and I'm gonna make this point. The the main reason I think this is a great work of art is because like, I always say that in other episodes that like a great work of art has to have a vision and it has to deliver on it very clearly, like very true to that vision and honestly. And I think Fleabag does that by the simple fact that it ends, right? By the fact that it has an ending. And what I mean by that is that, like this, this was an incredibly successful show by season two. They they could have easily made a season three by now. It could have made a season four by now, right? I'd,
1: I want a season three. I want to know what happened. They've, it's heartbreaking. It, but it I doesn't matter. Her.
0: It doesn't like it's done. Like that. that that's for me. Is what's like beautiful about it is that this is it. Like this is the story. And like there isn't anything more interesting to tell. Like this was like a woman going through some shit, coming to terms with it. And not getting necessarily the happy ending, but an ending that probably reflects true life. Yeah. And I don't I don't think like a season three would make sense. And they've you know, Phoebe Waller Bridge has said time and time again that there won't be a season three. And I think that is like it's like a really brave move and like a really powerful move to just say, like, this is it, this is the art. That's it.
2: Yeah, so true. And season two, although it's not how we It's not what we want, but it's, like you say, what is a true reflection of life. And it still means that we see her grow. It's not a complete failure and it's not all sad. We see so much of her growth. I think she uses the fourth wall breaks, we realise more and more, as a bit of a crutch like the audience is a crutch her um either convincing herself of something lying to herself about something um there the audience is a crutch to her which she finally lets go of and accepts herself for who she is and it's worth mentioning because I think again we're we're probably reflecting on because there's so many big things that are these heavy things they're so important to talk about but she does also use those fourth wall breaks for so many funny moments as well and I one of my favorites was um when they ask how her guinea pig themed cafe is going, the family have pretty much politeness. Yeah. And she said, it's going really well. And they clearly, none of them believe her. And she turns to the camera and says, it is, it really is. It actually is. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then it's contrasted with moments, um, like when she goes to a therapy appointment, which her dad buys her. And, she says they're always there like those moments reflecting on Boo and she blinks back the tears you realise that she she's actually very sad and she's being honest with the audience at that point and then again it's contrasted with a comedy of a time when she is berating uh, her sister's husband and she's making such a good point like giving the best insult ever yeah. and then she messes it up at the end and just says damn damn damn, damn. <laughs> And you completely feel for her. You're so with her, and she just again uses that moment. She just is a really funny cutaway to the camera, and we're completely with her, uh, wishing that she got a better final line, than calling him a wiki. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. Like, if you if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, that's cool, but I don't want to like watch a show about some woman who's sad whatever like that's not for me just watch it as a comedy it is so funny i don't think we've stressed that point enough like it's super funny she's a great writer
2: um the other thing i was going to mention two other important fourth wall breaks i think this this exemplifies the relationship with between her and the priest um so uh the scene when both Fleabag and the priest are both like probably at their most conflicted um they bear all these deep insecurities and the confessional of the church
0: yeah oh my god
2: um
0: <laughs> all right calm down ladies calm down calm down <laughs>
2: And then they finally submit to one another at this for this brief moment. They have this passionate.
0: What do you mean submit? Could <laughs> you go into more um, detail? And,
2: well, before God interrupts, um, and um, basically Fleabag doesn't take her eyes off from the reality that's happening in front of her um, until it fall all falls apart. And then she glances up at the camera for just a split second before the episode ends, and it shows her again. She was she was so captured by the moment, she didn't feel the need to yeah. break away and and let us in um until the episode ends or the everything falls apart and then she she does look at us. And we see that again with the um, the scene in which they finally consummate their relationship. And she <laughs> completes I know,
0: I am
2: <laughs> and she actually um Don't worry, your mum won't listen to this episode. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> mind <She> mind. <laughs> Um, shoves the camera away because she wants that moment between them to be completely for herself. She doesn't feel the need to make witty asides or a joke about anything, or even have a self-reflective moment. She just wants to be completely in the moment with yeah. with the priest.
0: Yeah, I
2: that- actually really loved that bit, and weirdly, that the action
1: of her pushing away the camera in itself was kind of emotional and kind of like exciting because she's like she's finally getting together with this guy who there's been so much lead up and so much build up for and you're really pleased for it and you don't feel the need to watch it. You're just pleased for her. It's like a
0: one second shot of them having sex and then it's like, it's. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the only time I think that she interacts with like the camera you know, yeah, the physical crodes. camera, yeah. And it's like a really cool shot, actually. It's kind of like a laptop lid being closed, and like the swipe action. Like, I, I really like that shot. Yeah, this is a great
2: like, dramatic way to end the yeah. end the episode. You yeah, kind yeah, of left yeah. wanting more, but you're also, like you say, Jess, you're happy for her that she's yeah. finally got this you're moment like, with him.
0: Go on, get it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's been so much build up. Yeah, I know.
0: It's like five episodes. Um, where do we take it from here?
2: I think that probably covers the highlights of the fourth wall breaks, like the contrast between the comedic moments, the tragic moments, the heartbreaking moments.
1: And I suppose, speaking of heartbreak, that is probably a really good segue onto your, your last point about the final scene, which is, oh my God, it, it is heartbreaking.
2: I will try not to cry. So,
0: <laughs> you are pregnant. So. i very
2: emotional uh, right Before now. we do
0: that, though, we should set the scene about like what, because you're going to talk about the fox. Why yeah. is the fox important?
2: fox is very important hey so um basically the fox is used as a kind of um another storytelling device we see the fox kind of appear throughout the season um but it's it's only in the final uh, the final season that we uh, final episode sorry that we see what the fox might truly represent
1: so the fox
2: um just for context if anyone
1: hasn't seen it um the the priest and Fleabag are having a conversation in the early season, aren't they? And yeah. they and they say uh, for some reason this random point comes up where um, the priest hears a noise and thinks it's a fox and says, "Oh, foxes! They just find me." And I think he He's says they have, them, they right? have
2: a, a a pact against him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he he references. Um, I think the fox it first appears when they are uh, they're having gin and tonics in the church garden and mm. and Fleabag is trying to approach a conversation about a relationship between them both she kind of shows that she would like something more between them and he keeps interrupting those deeper moments by saying oh my god a fox i think there's a fox and you almost think it's an excuse don't you when yeah. you're watching it you feel like he's making an excuse to not deal with this this deep yeah. conversation but then he does sit back down and he says right so celibacy
1: <laughs> so yeah, like he exactly. actually does he does uh, appreciate what she's trying to ask him
2: yeah, definitely, and uh, he he also references foxes again when he confesses to Fleabag about how they've been after him for years, and he reflects on a time one when he was on a train and a fox appeared at train the window, bathroom, yeah, which, uh, a train bathroom, yeah, a fox appears at the window, which again seems really inconceivable, and then another time when he was at a monastery and he wakes up to a fox pointing at him out of his window. Phoebe waller character says, lucky God that got there first, which suggests she kind of knows on some level what the fox means. And we see more and more the fox is is essentially a symbol for his celibacy and his sexuality chasing him.
0: It's implied, right, in the in the season that he was in a similar point in his life where he was using kind of like casual sex as a crutch and later like to, to kind of cover up other, other things or like other problems he had. Um, because he says, to, I don't know the exact line, but he says something like, Oh, you know, that, that that won't get you very far, or or that's what you think you want, but you don't actually.
2: Yeah, I, I think he uses the fox as a distraction sometimes to deal with things, but he also it almost interrupts them. It's something. it's essentially um every time he ponders his sexuality, or perhaps queries his sexuality, whether it's a private moment on a train or <laughs> the
0: yeah, what, was he, dream what was he in the doing monastery. in that train? That's what
2: um and now with Fleabag questioning the struggle of celibacy when she says how she couldn't necessarily be a priest, the fox appears in all these moments. Um, but one really interesting bit is when Fleabag sees the fox. So we don't, but...
1: Yeah, we never see the fox. We, we, hear, we see him reacting as if there is a fox. There might be, there might not be. Um, but
2: yeah, we don't actually see a fox until the very last scene. So after the fox, the panic of the fox, they discuss Fleabag's desire for an intimate relationship with the priest um and like you said tay he says that sex between them would bring no good yeah and i think after this two really poignant things happen so one of them is that she turns to the camera well us or her subconscious to have a moment about that revelation but that's another example of when he notices and he questions where she's going and this is i think how he's starting to see these private moments and it, it's an example of that emotional connection building between them because he's seeing her. But also this moment between them is cut short by Fleabag seeing the fox. And that's her seeing him as well on another level. Her seeing the fox makes us think the fox is real or that at least him struggling with his sexuality. Like he's he's almost let her into that. So yeah. they both see something that's almost private to them that no one else sees. I think those are two really poignant. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. It's I didn't important. I didn't see the reflection yeah, like that I didn't that, that either. the fox is his kind of fourth wall break equivalent. Yeah, right? it's a
1: really interesting theory and yeah, that
2: it no it is really in- interesting. It's kind of his equivalent of a comedic way to escape a serious situation yeah. Yeah. or a quick distraction technique yeah. which we see Fleabag do all the time with her fourth wall breaks and by Fleabag seeing that she she sees it for what it is as well and yeah, we that emotional connection between them is strengthened so much in that scene and when you see that when you see that strengthening of the emotional bond it's
1: all the more heartbreaking when they make their final decision in the final scene that they can't be together because they've had the emotional bond they have even had the sexual bond because they do have sex eventually but the ultimate decision is that it's god it's always been god and you know there's a it's just after the wedding of her father and uh, godmother and he is officiating and he gives a speech about um the fact that you know what is love love is painful but then he he does say some really nice things about love and about how love is hope and you think oh maybe he's talking about fleabag but he's not he's talking about god and that's him making his decision that he he might love her he might have an emotional and sexual connection with her but he's choosing god
2: yeah i think we We believe that when we see him have sex with her, that it is him saying he does love her because he says before that he can't have sex with her because it will mean he falls in love with her. So when they do consummate their relationship, that to us is him showing, I do love you. I've submitted to that. Um, So it's why it's so much more heartbreaking in that final scene, which I'll talk about a bit more in a bit. So there's another mention of the fox. It's um, when Fleabag and the priest wake up in the morning after consummating their relationship. And it's, as Jess says, it's the day of...
0: Can you just stop saying consummating the relationship?
2: <laughs> Guys, think <they're laughs> back. Just
0: so okay. they, they were going sex. at it.
2: Um, so it's the day of her father's <laughs> wedding and, and the priest is officiating the wedding that day. Um, and there's another fox reference just before the wedding starts. Um, so Fleabag tries to find a quiet moment in the garden, just have a cigarette... And um, the priest is practising all of his, his lines um, for the wedding. And he's startled to see Fleabag because he doesn't expect to oh, see her no. there. And he says, I thought you were a fox. It's, I it's thought another, were my looming sexuality. Another moment of him being confronted by these lustful, conflicting feelings. And yeah. they're just springing up on him. Um, so it's another reference to that. They, and then they basically end up passionately kissing against a wall. And he says, I don't, know what, <laughs> I don't know what he says, I don't know what this feeling is. And when you're watching that as a viewer, you think, uh, dude, the feeling is that you are really attracted to her. What are you on about? And we just think, it's obvious, like you you're in love and you are loved up and everything's gonna be great now. And you assume that perhaps after the officiation of this wedding that, you know, that's that's the end of it. Like he's probably gonna leave his um bit you know, being a priest behind sure. he's, he's chosen fleabag. But Fleabag is not as confident as maybe the audience feels in this because she says, um, is it God or is it me? Uh, in,
0: right at the end of the bus stop, about, right? Yeah. But
2: she, in, in this scene, actually, she says, is it God oh, okay. or is it me as well because she's questioning, is that the feelings that you're having? Is it, she's, she's aware of that conflict, you, yeah. mm-hmm. whereas I think the audience feel, well, I did at least, I don't know about you guys, but when you're seeing them kissing and you know that they had sex the night before, you feel like... The, the struggle every, is over.
1: Every single t- love show, love love story teaches you that that means that they're, they're yeah. good to go. And that means yeah. lovely ever after.
2: Exactly. And Jess, as you mentioned about the speech, so we watched this priest do a speech at the wedding and um, it's about how you have to fight for love. So many of us assume that it's about the love, that, you know, love's hard, but it's worth the sacrifices. Um, and this, in this case, the sacrifices that you ha- you have to make and that he already has made, we feel like they are for Fleabag. But it's only later that we realise that he's talking about God in his speech, his love of God, and the sacrifice he has to make is Fleabag. Yeah. Um,
1: I didn't realise that when he made the speech. I realised that afterwards, at, yeah. when, yeah, yeah. when it, he's
2: chosen it, yeah, God. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what makes it so much more hard writing. Um, in the final scene after the wedding, Fleabag is sitting at the bus stop, and the priest admits to her that he has chosen God over her and she says oh my god <laughs> she says the worst part is I fucking love you and um we watch her like watch both her eyes fill with tears there's a moment that um I think he almost tries to stop her saying it like don't you don't have to say it you know I know this is another growth point for Fleabag she she kind of pushes forward and like let me say it. you know it's going to be painful to say it but I want to say it um, even if she knows there's no happy ending afterwards and it doesn't mean that he's going to change his mind. She she pushes to say that anyway. So I think that's a, another...
1: Yeah, and she
2: she says it and then he goes to say something and she says, no, 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 just let
1: that hang there for a bit. Yeah. I love you. And that's really strong. It's very confident for her, for someone who has, I think, definitely craved love and probably feared rejection.
2: And run from her feelings before, I guess. Yeah. So she's finally just accepting it, even though it's hard. Yeah. And... Um, essentially like he walks he when he does walk away from her she's not running from her fingers anymore he he walks away from her and he turns over his shoulder and tells her that he he loves her too oh
1: my god and he has a tear on his face that broke me yeah it's, it's crying so as
2: well and i saw this i saw one article say about how um he loves her in a way that only a celibate man with all this time and kindness and how caring he is as being a man of God could really provide for her um but it's obviously doomed to work as a relationship or at least a sexual relationship because of all of that as well so it's why they have such a deep emotional connection in one sense but it's also why it can never work um so it is it's really hard to watch and you really really want a positive happy ending but um it's the bravery of the storytelling and the writing to to not give us that to not just submit to what we want yeah um, in the same way that we don't get another season
1: (laughs) i had um i mean i haven't really i've not read about this it's just something that that i thought about but i was also almost you said you were you felt like you were grieving afterwards i mean not quite on the same level but a sense of loss that i had was that i felt like she was beginning to turn to religion and then he she he said you're no, like don't come to the church anymore you're no longer welcome and i know that's quite a small part of the story was she using religion as just she keeps on saying i'm an atheist and i don't believe in god do you think she would ever was going to turn to god as a as a refuge or do you think it was just a way to get close to the priest because i almost felt like that might have been some sanctuary for her when she was clearly quite upset and quite damaged Maybe. and that, that might have been um a place of solace for her
2: There's a scene where she reads the Bible in the bath when she'd previously joked about not even... That there's no point giving her the Bible, she wouldn't read it. But then she does read it. And I I thought that was more, for example, in that scene, that it was more how she was willing to give it a try for him because she, she wanted to know and understand his him. life and him.
0: I read it the same way. She's like, oh, let's see what all this is about. Maybe I can mm. make some peace but with it. And
1: She goes to the church and is about to pray when she's upset about something. Yeah. Um, But then hears him sort of dancing in the vestry or whatever yeah, to yeah, yeah. Beyonce or something like that. So he interrupts her prayer. But
2: it was almost like she was almost there. Like she was almost...
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could be a good interpretation.
2: Another thing that's definitely worth mentioning is... The final uh, representation of the fox in this scene. So, after he walks away, we actually, at the as the audience, see the fox for the first time. And if we think of the fox as being that symbol of his denying his sexuality, it it slinks along and looks at Fleabag, and Fleabag says he went that way, and the flo- the fox carries on in direction that Fleabag has directed. <laughs> And follows
0: the priest, right? It essentially yeah. follows oh. him.
2: And we can see that as essentially being his sexuality potentially catching up with him. It's not going to be the end for him. Maybe it's it's too optimistic to say his sexuality catches up with him and one day they're together. Yeah. But it's it's just saying that although he's made his peace and said, I'm deciding God... He has to consciously
0: make that decision
2: again. It's it's probably going to creep up on him again. Yeah,
0: again, he's not a two D character, right? He's 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 like that. He's not just magically left that behind, and that's a clear cut ending. You can extrapolate whatever you want. Like you can imagine that Fox catches up with him and they're together, and that's totally valid.
2: Exactly, and it's not as. It's not as simple, whereas I think actually Fleabag has a lot more of a resolution. So she walks away OK and accepting being on her own, even though she wants to be with him. She she admits her feelings. She makes her choice clear. It's not clear whether the priest will stick with his celibacy, whether he'll stay with God. But we feel quite confident that Fleabag, as we've said earlier, that she lets go of her crutch, of her self-destruction. She finally learns that she's worthy of love, even if she can't be loved by the priest and when we see her go through this we see her also say goodbye to the camera turn back for a final wave and realize that she's accepted things as, sh- as they are and although it's going to be hard she's fine with that and she's yeah. grown yeah if the
1: fox is the priest's demons and the camera is her demons she's she's managed to let go of hers whereas he hasn't and yeah. the fox is still following him as his sexual desire will probably continue to haunt him for most of his life and it's going to constantly be a struggle for him whereas she is actually yeah grown or will grow in the non-existent season three that we won't be able to watch
2: i think (laughs) some things even though it seems like that seems like the perfect resolution doesn't it um some things are sort of left slightly unresolved not necessarily in a bad way so one thing is boo's death yeah. which we see Fle- Fleabag struggle with throughout both seasons. And she'll probably never forgive herself for this. But in a way, there's no easy resolution to this. Um, she has moved forwards from a lot of the grief she's felt, in the same way the, the, her mother's death and the loss of the relationship with um, with her, uh, which will never be made up for by her stepmother. And we also see that she's not ended up with a romantic partner, which we want for her. That You could argue that's also unresolved. But there are other things that... I mean, I think that's partly life. They're, they're yeah. not, there's not going to be a perfect resolution to those things. Yeah. And there are other things that are resolved. Like, she, she's passed the rawness of grief of both the deaths she's experienced. We see her having more happier reflections. And one of those I just have to mention is when she reflects on her mother's funeral she is saying how good she looks on the day and she's like oh no i need to look more sad my hair
0: is falling in this (laughs) chic way
2: (laughs) they look so flawless and
1: all the all the people attending the funeral keep on saying oh i'm so sorry for your loss (laughs) you look fabulous (laughs) by the
2: way and boo is trying to help her
1: look worse (laughs) worse
2: so that she looks appropriately grief-stricken um another thing is that she makes although she can't completely resolve the relationship, the sort of strange relationship between her sister and her father, she makes positive strides forwards with both. More so with her sister, as we talked about, and the, how they interact with each other and grow throughout the season. But even with her father, it's never going to be perfect, but they have they open up to each other in the final episode before the wedding when he seems to be having maybe slightly cold feet. And we yeah. we see him kind of... They, they reflect on her mother and the relationship. And uh, it's as touching and deep as it will probably ever get with her Mm. father so it's still progressed somewhat
1: (laughs) he says to her oh something along the lines of oh I think the reason that you found it so hard with your mother and and the reason you you struggle more than the rest of us is because you love more than the rest of us you find it much easier to love than the rest of us do so you feel it more strongly and that's really interesting because actually a lot of the series you think she's kind of cold because of her casual sex and how it never really means anything to her but actually that then amplifies what you then next see in the next scene with the priest is him saying that and you know having repaired their relationship a little bit but yeah that's a very the most eloquent thing he ever really says because he doesn't manage to get a sentence out very often
2: yeah yeah it's a final moment where he actually manages to say something deeper and more meaningful and shows that i guess that he does love her even if doesn't particularly
0: like Yeah,
2: in, her. in his own way um i think we we also question whether i think he says something about his foot being stuck and why he couldn't get out is he in an attic i think yeah he's, he's an in attic. an attic
1: and his his foot's like fallen through the floor and he says i'm trapped i can't get out <laughs> yes. and <she> it says- <laughs> seems
2: like an excuse doesn't it and she doesn't she doesn't fully question him head on she lets him have that moment as you know i'm not going to question you on this yeah. and she helps him I think, make peace with the situation and get over... Maybe he doesn't have cold feet, maybe he does. She helps him get over that and, and brings him back down to the wedding and to continue the day, even though she's never had a good relationship with a stepmother. She sort of does that to help him.
0: Yeah, which you, you never get on perfectly with every single person in your family or your extended family, right? But again, I think the show captures kind of like the sacrifices we make and the way that relationships like develop over time. Which we, we we've circled back to like characterization again, which was your your first argument, and just how honest the show is. I think yeah. before we start wrapping it up, Santhi, do you is there anything that like if you don't say on this recording, you're going to kick yourself over tonight? Is there anything we've missed?
2: Um, one other thing I'd say a positive, something that's resolved somewhat is um her struggling business. I think that's worth yeah, mentioning because yeah. she has that with. Her best friend Boo. I think that's why she finds it very painful to actually deal with head on the problems that she has. And it's there's never any customers in there. But by the end of the season we see her business doing really well and thriving and lots of having lots of customers. And I think that's a really nice growth uh, moment yeah. for Fleabag because she's made it her own um despite the pain of having it once with her best friend. And she's made it a success. I think in honour of her friend as well. Mm-hmm. That's very
1: really nice. I think one other thing that, I mean, I'm totally on your side here, obviously. I think you can tell that I agree with you in terms of the fact this is a really great uh, show. But one of the things I tend to come back to in this podcast when I talk about what I think is a good work of art, it often comes back to the emotions that I feel in response to um some art. And I mean, this one has a lot of different emotions. It, it's funny. It's sad. It can be happy. It's uh, an incredible representation of heartbreak which is really it can be quite difficult to portray because it's a different type of heartbreak that we're talking about here this is two people making a conscious choice they can't be together but also and then also like all of the like lighter side and the sexual tension between the priests, like that's kind of like a sexy element it's you know that it's very really good um but um i think that that's actually a really important part of this show is that it does evoke that kind of feeling like when it finished i felt a little bit empty i felt a bit sad i was sad that it was over and you you said earlier that you felt like you grieved um <laughs> <It's like laughs> through a
2: breakup yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like the priest broke up with both
0: yeah. of you at the same yeah, time
2: yeah it's it is yeah. a really tough watch but i i think it could be summed up by saying that final scene it teaches us that life is really hard sometimes, and it's imperfect. There are not going to be perfect resolutions to things, but um, and it's not going to be affected by just how we behave or the luck that we're given. Um, sometimes life just does what it wants, but it also teaches you to make peace with it and essentially to laugh through tragedy tragedy i can't say that word laugh through tragedy trage- why can't i say that oh, yeah to laugh through that um get through what sorry tragedy <laughs> okay. right. to laugh through that um in the way that fleabag does throughout it's not always an unhealthy thing sometimes we need like comedic escapes and to just laugh in the face of all that and mm. and fleabag shows that su- summarizes that perfectly um So that's why I think it's such a great work. It's the writing, it's the acting, it's the story and how much is actually covered in so few episodes in such a short space of time. The depth of the characters, the complex um, relationships and also how heartbreaking that scene is when you haven't actually seen that much of them but you feel you know them so well and you know their relationships yeah. so well
1: there, there is so much more i could talk about on this topic i won't i think we've we've got the salient points across but yeah it's i think it's phenomenal how much she packs into yeah uh six 25 minute
0: episodes and i'll pick it up there and say that like yeah like you said jess that you've got certain things you look for in art. And I've mentioned this, like at least a couple times on this episode, but for me to be like considered a great work of art, it has to be tight. It has to have direction and it has to deliver on that in a way that I feel is kind of like true to what the vision of the thing was, right? Or the vision of the artist was. Uh, this was always going to be like a downhill battle for you. Xanth. It was like, I love this show. It was super easy like <laughs> to say that it's definitely going to be on the list even before you'd set a single argument. But for all the points you've said, it delivers on all of them. And it is, it is incredibly true to the, the, the vision and the goals of one person. And I think I don't think I've seen another piece of art, apart from maybe what we're going to be talking about next week, deliver on one person's kind of artistic intent so well. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge has been absolutely killing it since this as well. She's gone like from strength to strength. Um, what, she did Killing Eve after this. And then she wrote in the new James Bond film, which I think is one of the best ones ever. And Saw that this week. Just it, saying, <laughs> It yeah. not my art of the week this week? But it could have
2: been. The K- Killing Eve also could be a great work. art yeah. for me. So it's so good.
0: It's by no means a fluke. This is like, but I think this is her best work, and I think this is someone at the top of their game, just like clicking on all cylinders.
1: Thank you so much for bringing this to us, Zampi, because actually I think that. I wouldn't have watched season two because I was a bit meh on season one Um, and I really thank you for making me watch it because it
0: was really good and I really enjoyed it.
2: Do you want to hear a fun fact that I realised when I I was reading about this?
0: Absolutely not. What kind of podcast do you think (laughs) this is?
2: (laughs) Do you realise, you know how Fleabag doesn't have a name? Yeah. Priest also doesn't have yeah, a name.
0: Like, yeah, no re- no, no, he doesn't. No one has a name. No, neither,
2: neither does the, the godmother, dad. Or the doesn't godmother. Either, because only
0: Claire and Martin it's and so the son weird. have names.
2: It's yeah. so weird. They're such important characters and they just they're just I was, I was gonna I ask if there was to, a
1: reason behind and, it,
0: but
2: But maybe that's that's another way that they almost don't need need that to
0: Yeah. It's like we, we, we talked about oh, we need to stop, but we talked yeah. about how this is like a reflection of life. And you, can ins- you need to be able to insert yourself, right, no matter who you are, into those characters' shoes. And I think ah, leaving yeah. them nameless helps yeah. you do that.
2: That's a really good point. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like
0: that theory. Mm-hmm. That's right. Can okay, I... let's wrap it up. Okay, thank you so much for coming on to the show, Xanthi, and presenting such a well-thought-out argument. Love talking about this. Um, I think, you know, you've heard from all of us, no-brainer. This is definitely on the list and pretty high up for me.
1: Yeah, I mean... Ugh anyone who's been following this show the original premise was that we'd have a list that podcast that an episode would either get on the list or it wouldn't but i think nothing hasn't got on the list so maybe we should scrap this whole uh whole we're, yeah
0: we're, we're building but, a list we're gonna whittle it down at some point yeah, at some point
1: but uh, yeah absolutely this is going on i i really really enjoy talking about this today
2: i'd be devastated if you said it wasn't on the list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool let's go to art of the week
1: now we go to a segment that we like to call art of the week where we talk about a bit of art that we interacted with in the last week every week this uh this can vary quite a lot about whether it's actually art or not but it's always art. (laughs) it's it's (laughs) it's always (laughs) art.
0: just throw up some loose definitions Um, (laughs) of art and you're good
1: yeah so uh uh, xanthi you have an art of the week this week why don't you tell us what yours is
2: yeah mine's really quick it's basically an app and it's called daily art I think, I've, I think I've had this app in the past. <laughs> it's, um, its little symbol is uh, the Mona Lisa in a sort of cartoonist style. And each day it gives you a featured art piece of art, um, usually um, really stunning paintings that you'd probably pass by in a museum and think, oh, wow, that's so complicated. And I bet there's so much meaning to this that I can never fully understand. And it, essentially it summarises... Um, about that piece of art in about a paragraph that you could read in a couple of minutes and there's one each day and it expires that day, and then there's a new that. one and you can um share them with other people um there's a little share link to send to someone else but there's also um you can kind of like it in the same way that you do on instagram or something like that um, and you can see how many likes or engagements that that piece of art has got so yeah. it's, it's a way to i think make art accessible to to the everyday person, so I thought it was quite a nice, a nice little thing. And it only like like I said, it only takes a few minutes to read. It usually um, says where it's displayed and what makes it great, and gives you a little appreciation it's for it.
0: Kind of crazy how you just came on the podcast and said our podcast is redundant because this app does what we do, but much better <laughs> and on a daily basis. So. Gonna
1: start releasing daily.
0: Thanks for that one.
2: Well, if you want to, if you want to download it, Tay, it's called Daily Art. No, no, no,
0: no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that taken down off the app store. Disregard. Copyright. (laughs) Copyright art. Uh, Okay, guess I'll go on that bombshell. Uh, So my art of the week is a film I watched last night. Film is uh, Encanto, the new Disney Pixar. I don't know which one it is actually. I think it's just Disney Uh, animated film. It's great. Like if you if, if you like Disney films, you know what you're getting into. I think this is probably one of my favorite ones in recent times. The soundtrack, probably one of the highlights of it. It's by Lynn Manuel Miranda. So go into it expecting Hamilton and you won't be disappointed. I think it's really good. Uh, the standout song uh, is uh, we don't talk about Bruno, which I think you know everyone's talking about right now. Outside of the soundtrack, I think the animation is probably was 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 the highlight for me last night. It's just incredible. I think it's a, a benchmark in animation. And I don't watch all of the Disney Pixar uh, films, but I, I tried to catch them kind of every every few years and try and kind of stay up to date with what it's looking like now. And it was just mind blowing. Like, there's one song, the, the 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 Flower Girl song. You'll know it when you get to it. And just like the particle effects of these flowers like blooming and flying everywhere and exploding and just like the motion like of, of the characters throughout the scene. And it just looks stunning. Like It, it, it is a, a high point for sure in animation. And what's more impressive is that I saw like on Twitter, uh, there were some behind the scenes snippets of how these animators were working from home. While they were creating this film. Wow. And like it's it's this film is set in Colombia and there's a lot of like dancing and and, and and it kind of captures a lot of the obviously traditional Colombian fashion of like long billowing skirts and free-flowing fabrics. And the characters are obviously moving around and, and the animators to capture the true fabric movements were taking down their own curtains at home, like, <laughs> draping them over themselves and doing, like, dances in front oh of, God. like, capturing, you know, videoing themselves on their phone and then trying to animate off that. Wow. And, yeah, I just thought it was, like, a, a, a great bit of work and just people kind of not letting anything stand in their way and I, just delivering something. I haven't something. seen
2: it, but that you played a couple of bits of the music earlier. And yeah. Now I actually want to watch it because it was... Very catchy.
0: Yeah, Disney Plus. Go check it out.
1: I love how full-grown adults such as ourselves still watch (laughs) basically kids' films. But I mean, no shame because I don't know we're a Disney generation. Yeah, you never do And they're good
2: films. Also, Tay's here appreciating the movement of the fabric. That's the kind of (laughs) that's the depth that you can get. That's the sartorial vibes (laughs) that we're on.
0: Yeah. All right, over to you.
1: All right. So my art of the week is a medium that I don't think we've spoken about before. Um, It is a board game. um, And I think it might be a kind of divisive board game. It's Settlers of Catan, um, if you haven't heard of it. You should have heard of it. Uh, it's re-
2: <laughs> it's really good. Okay, whoa.
0: That's the best way to pitch it. Like. <laughs> Idiot.
1: I I'd, I I'd never played it before, and I thought that I got the impression that it was more of like a, a really like a long form like Risk board game, and it was like the really... map
0: looks like Risk. That's yeah. What, yeah, and
1: and it looks really like nerdy and really like intensive, but actually, when we played it, it was the perfect mix between your sort of slightly longer form, like, complicated um, strategic game, like something like Risk or even something a a little bit um, less in-depth than that, and a mix between, like, a a party game, like, I don't know, Cards Against Humanity or something, and it sits in the middle and it just absorbs your attention just perfectly. It's exactly the right amount of focus that you want in a board game. And it's simple, but you have to have a bit of strategic thinking as well. And... um, yeah, you essentially need to gain resources to build settlements and roads and it's really, really fun. And it's only a four-player game, so, you know... Yeah.
2: Is it easy to learn to how to play? Super That's easy. one yeah. of the main issues yeah. with games, isn't it? It We've... sounds complicated
1: when you read the instructions, but as soon as you start playing, you just get, you it, get it immediately.
0: Okay. It's, it, it gets really fun when you're like, I don't know, bartering, like, I'll give you four sheep for three brick. For <laughs> like... Yeah. Never <laughs> sheep are worth at least ten wheat.
1: <laughs> we had someone in yeah. when we played um, like dominate the rock industry. Yeah. and he owned all of the rock areas, Got and it was a just rock like monopoly. Yeah, it, exactly yeah. in Big Rock.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> big Rock.
1: So uh, so yeah, it's it's a really good fun uh, game, and would recommend that you give it a go.
0: That's been it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Zanthi, and. Next week, we've got another guest.
2: A very mm. exciting guest.
0: And it will be a topic... <laughs> He's that...
2: been watching today. <laughs> yeah,
0: the, the guest is actually in this room, but has remained <laughs> yeah. silent
2: We haven't, throughout.
1: We haven't told you that we actually have a live studio audience today. <laughs> so if you have heard any muffled laughter... It was
0: That's hard. our next guest, who we'll <laughs> for now. Uh, but yeah, the topic is one I'm very much looking forward to. We've mentioned it. Uh, if you've been listening to every episode so far, you will have heard references to it. We... Th- Rate it very, very highly. Let's just say that. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, Daphne, I- is there any anything you want to plug?
2: No, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you want to plug your baby coming soon?
2: Yeah, coming soon. Uh, hospital near you. Um, my
0: child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unnamed.
2: He's been kicking throughout the episode. He? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, we're so pleased that you didn't give birth to him here. In-
2: <laughs> I'm, pleased to. I'm pleased too. I'm
0: pleased too. Okay.
1: All right, thanks again, Xanthi. We've really enjoyed having you here. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Um, Go and watch Fleabag now.
2: Yes, but watch season one first and then (laughs) seasons.
1: All right, see you next time. How would you like us to introduce you? I mean, like... I maybe just, like... My friend? Boyfriend? <laughs> my friend. <laughs> this is my boyfriend's sounding. <laughs> <was> my boyfriend. <laughs>